Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine a financial institution with competitive rates and low fees so you can support churches, ministries, and causes that are close to your heart. A place where your faith and finances can grow together as you seek to serve God and support yourself and your loved ones. It's called Christian Community Credit Union. Here, you're joining a family who shares your Christian values. Here, you can serve God and support yourself and your loved ones. Here, you can get the right financial solutions to help you live and give more abundantly. But can't you just find financial services somewhere else? Well, sure. But what other bank can be your faith-based partner who genuinely cares about a mission bigger than all of us? What other bank seeks to honor God with every single transaction? What other bank can guarantee your money goes directly to kingdom purposes? Christian Community Credit Union is a Christian faith-based, not-for-profit credit union driven by the purpose of serving Christ's followers to live and give more abundantly. To learn more about this world-class financial organization, please visit www.mycccu.com slash c-suite. Again, that's www.mycccu.com slash c-suite. I once asked a business owner who was about to sell his $400 million company that 20 years earlier was a $15 million company, how much he attributed his company's success to being in a CEO roundtable. His answer was, I attribute my company's growth to initiatives undertaken, which were all brought to the CEO roundtable group. That's what having a group of like-minded Christian executives can do for you. That's what being a member of a Nehemiah group can do for you. To learn more about how Nehemiah Groups can help you grow your company and change your life, please visit FuelingSales.com and click on the Nehemiah Group tab. Thank you. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition here of the C-Suite for Christ podcast. I am your host, Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ. And boy, howdy, it's a blessing to have you here today. And I do mean that. I don't throw that word around lightly. I know you're insanely busy. I know there's a lot of demands for your attention. So much noise out there, isn't it? Gosh, I mean, all the things that we're responsible for, all the things that we're accountable for, you, know, you got family obligations, you got work obligations, you got your own health obligations, whether that's working out or, you know, going for a walk, things with mental health, just to make sure that you're not, um, you know, ignoring yourself. 
Plus, you got, uh, you know, with time to unwind, what do I want to do? Well, let's watch a movie. Well, there's a thousand choices on Netflix. There's a million choices on, you know, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. So just a lot of busyness, a lot of noise, a lot of different uh, choices out there. And it means a lot to us that you've decided to uh, pick the C-Suite for Christ podcast. And I promise we're going to be a great steward of your time How can you not be with our guest today, Carol Flannery? She's the chief executive officer of Lutheran Counseling and Family Services of Wisconsin. She's been a member now of our ministry for some time. And again, fun fact, everybody that appears on the C-Suite for Christ podcast is an official member of our ministry. We don't just necessarily have, well, let's just get some big names. Let's get some celebrities. Let's get some people that, you know, have... 10 million Twitter followers, for instance, as fine as that can be, our ministry is real. Our ministry is authentic. Our ministry is true. These are not necessarily extremely well-polished individuals. They're going to say ums once in a while. They're going to be at a loss for words once in a while, but that's fine. That's not what our ministry is about. Our ministry is not about putting people on a pedestal. Our ministry is not about... You know, look at all these big names and amazing people that are associated with us. The C-Suite for Christ ministry is made up of real people with real struggles, with real challenges, and in their own small way, have some real insight to share with the rest of us. And again, we're very fortunate that Carol is going to be doing that today. So looking forward to that that conversation. The other thing I I just want to encourage you before we... Start moving through the program here. Three words. Don't back down. We must be doing something right as a ministry because, man, I'm getting attacked a lot. Now, again, this isn't me necessarily saying, oh, woe is me. I mean, again, I'm a big boy. I know what I'm getting myself into. And um, as one of our board members at this ministry likes to say, new level, new devil. We're getting a lot of people's attention here at C-Suite for Christ. And if you look at all the stuff that we're doing, it's easy to see why. On LinkedIn, if you're not following me personally or the C-Suite for Christ ministry professionally on LinkedIn, please take three seconds to do that. We're rapidly approaching 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. Praise God. I've got a 50-part video series behind the Right Now Media Paywall. That's the largest Christian organization on the planet. We've got a very popular radio show. It's the number one one-hour radio show on the biggest uh, radio station in the state of Wisconsin. This podcast is in the top 10% of all podcasts of 3.1 million on earth. It ain't about me. It's all about God. But as you continue to rise, as you continue to get notoriety, as you continue to be a voice in the wilderness, in a very secular wilderness, you start agitating people. Man, I must be doing a good job of that because on LinkedIn, on Facebook, what? Uh, looked at my social media right before I hopped onto this. Twice today, I was called a bigot. Uh, on LinkedIn yesterday, I was called intolerant. Shame on you for posting this about the faith. It has no place on this secular platform. You're offending half of the world, blah, 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 blah. Somebody else got into a conversation with me about the way to heaven. And what she said is she says, I choose to believe that if you show love and compassion, you're going to go to heaven. And again, I'm not going to say who this was, although I should. And my my response to her was, you know, hey, it ain't about choice. You know, it's all about the word of God trumps personal preference. And, And what she's saying is factually 
biblically not accurate. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's not about works. It's not about services. You got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As it says in Scripture, the only way to him is through me. But that's what we're up against, man. People that don't have a biblical worldview, people that are just so full of hate and they're closed-minded. And there's one political party in particular I think you're going to know right away who I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's all about love. It's all about inclusivity. It's all about diversity of opinion. Come on, you can't love anybody. And then the minute I say something that goes against their narrative, oh, you're a racist bigot. Don't back down. Somebody calls you a name on social media, keep posting. Somebody makes you go to your human resources department because you brought up God at work, you keep talking about God. You lose a couple of friends or family members because, gee, who's that Jesus freak over there? Well, then fine. You lose a couple friends and family. That's just the way that it is. What we're up against is a battle between good and evil. What we're up against is a struggle that we cannot afford to lose because I hate to remind, I shouldn't say that. I love to remind you of this. This is a very convicting ep- uh, podcast after all. We do not do comfortable Christianity here. If you want something that's safe and ah, sweet, do not listen to this podcast. It's my goal that after every podcast episode, you're convicted You're feeling, man, I could be a better Christian. That's the purpose of this, because I want to see all of you in heaven someday. I want to be there someday. I ain't taking anything for granted. But yeah, we got to push each other. We got to challenge each other. And again, at the end of the day, we cannot back down because that's what society wants. You just got to keep going. That means you're going to lose some people along the way, whatever, because there is going to come a day and it, it may be sooner rather than later. You know, I, I, this may sound morose. I try to think about my death every single day because I know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. I know that I might not even make it to the end of today. You might be the last person I have a conversation with here before my number is called. But just remember, you're going to be standing before Jesus. I call that the final exit interview in the sky. And that's when everything you ever said, everything you ever did, everything you didn't say, everything you didn't do is going to be replayed. And there are no do-overs. Why didn't you honor the Great Commission by telling others about me? I just didn't want to be called a bigot. That ain't going to work. Why didn't you, rather than posting about your, you know, your salmon or your taco plate for the 80,000th time, why didn't you, you know, post a Bible verse? I didn't want to end up in Facebook jail. Ain't going to work, brother. Ain't going to work, sister. Don't back down. Call me a bigot. Call me a racist. Call me a hate monger. Call me a Jesus freak. I ain't stopping. You give me strength. The success of this podcast gives me strength, and I pray that I give you strength also in my own small way. So that being said, like I said, we got a really good show here. And again, this this conversation this is today is going to be just a little bit political. I don't I don't you know shy away from that. People say that you can't talk about politics or religion. Well, that's just a lie that the you know the evil one spreads because. You know, doesn't want society to be challenged. We're told, oh, you want to be polite. You just don't want to offend anybody. You think Jesus worried about offending people? He called the Pharisees a, a, a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He, he flipped the tables of the money changers in the temple. G- Jesus called it like it was. Oh, Jesus was all about love. Jesus was all about, oh, tolerance. And it. No, he was not. Jesus is love. Don't get me wrong. Of course he was. Jesus didn't go along to get along. Jesus didn't see people and say, oh, that's her lifestyle. I'm going to 
I'm going to love her any. I'm going to, you know, pardon her and forgive her anyway. Jesus called sin, sin. You know, when Jesus forgave people, Jesus also said, stop sinning. Turn your life around. I mean, there's that story about the prostitute. You know, when he wrote something in the sand that nobody knows what it is that he wrote, he forgave her. He spared her life. But he said, stop sinning. Knock it off. So I'm not going to back down when it comes to criticism of, you know, talking about these important things, be it politics or religion. We're going to go right at it. And today's one of those days. It's just it's 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 in my mind a little bit. And that's just this entitlement society. Now, again, it's one of those things that is politically driven for sure. When you look at the Democrats, you look at the Republicans, one party is all about more often than not. One party is really about, you know, personal freedom, personal choice, the individual making you the best person that you can possibly be. The other party is more about the collective. Well, you two people think one thing. These 10 people think another. But you two people shut up. The other two, the other 10 uh, don't want to listen to your stuff. You know, what, what's better for the group is better than what's for the individual. And when a society is run a lot with you deserve this, you're entitled to this. We need to give you this. There's a political motivation behind that. I, I truly believe and what I find interesting is the Democrat Party, which, on you know, when, when you go back to history, you know, the Democrats were the party of slave owners. It was the Democrats that uh, didn't want to end slavery in this country. The Republican Party was founded on the liberation of slaves. That's what it was all about. Even as recently as the 1960s, when you had uh, Lyndon Johnson following John F. Kennedy's assassination, Lyndon Johnson... He's the president that gets the credit, you know, for the Civil Rights Act. And he, he did see that through. So, sure, let's give credit where credit's due. But when you look, and this is what I would challenge you to do. Again, forget listening to Rachel Maddow. Forget listening to Sean Hannity. Do your own flipping research for once. Go to, just Google it. It's all publicly available information. Look up the Civil Rights Act. Look up any legislation that has to do with race in the early 1960s. And you'll see the vast majority of individuals that voted against it were all Democrats. Lyndon Johnson gets a lot of credit for passing it. You know who gets like no credit for that are all the Republicans that voted yes. The Republicans that convinced a small, tiny handful of Democrats to flip over to their side to get that passed. I just find it ironic that Democrats are the party of, you know, anti-slavery and civil rights and reparations. That's a good one. Yet they're enslaving millions of people today. Now, slavery is the most rotten thing in the history of the world. Nobody ever is going to condone that. And anytime you mention slavery, you know, how are people going to interpret this? Well, again, I'm not a 30-second soundbite kind of guy. This is not a 30-second soundbite kind of society. So if somebody's going to say Newberger said this without taking it into context, that's their problem. I can't control that. But there's a modern-day slavery going on, and it's being perpetuated by the party that supposedly hates slavery, and that's these handouts. That's this entitlement. You know, we're going we're gonna to keep giving people unemployment benefits indefinitely. No drug tests needed. They don't have to be applying for a job. Not a problem. Uh, we're we're going to give disability benefits to anybody that, you know, even remotely hints at, oh, you, you get headaches once in a while? Oh, okay, here's a disability benefit. You got COVID relief. I think that finally stopped. But boy, that was pumping, you know, through the system for a long time. You've got these, um, 
you know, these mothers who in some cases are, are making poor lifestyle choices. They've got seven kids out of wedlock. The woman's 26. She's getting X amount of money per kid. I mean, if you add all that stuff up, some of these people that are unemployed have a bunch of babies are making more money than someone like me, than someone like you, who is getting up every single day, who is working hard, who is taking nothing for granted, who knows what this country was founded on and who's trying to realize their full God-given potentials by taking advantage of the talents and abilities and skill sets that God has given us. There's just a lot of entitlement out there, and I hate it. I hate it for two reasons. One, once you start giving something out, it is very difficult to claw that back. And the argument is always the same. Again, I, I vote, uh, well, I vote, but I'm also much more on the conservative side than the quote-unquote progressive side. But you see this argument all the time. You know, the Democrats, for as much as I disagree with them, I just think they're better politicians than conservatives. I don't think they're better people. I just think they're better politicians. I think they understand how the game is played a lot more than the conservatives do because they know all they got to do is start giving people a taste and once people start getting that taste, they don't want to take it back. And then they can make the argument that, oh, you know, conservatives hate you. Look at they're trying to take these things away. And they do this all the time. You know, well, you know, we're, we're going to do this. Uh, whatever. I'll make this up. You know, we're, we're going to do this. This thousand um, dollar a month stipend for any person who has three children and goes to a daycare that costs X. Let's just say now some of you. Oh, OK, well, that's all they want. That's fine. Good. Let's put that in the bill. Well, you know what's going to happen. When it comes up for a vote six months down the road, when the federal deficit keeps getting bigger and bigger, when the debt, which is at $32 trillion, keeps getting bigger and bigger, some financially astute politician is going to say, well, okay, why don't we take this benefit away? Good luck. Now that somebody's already had that for six months, now that somebody's grown accustomed to that for six months, and you know what the Democrats are going to do? Oh, this person hates mothers. Oh, th this person, it's a war on children. No, it's not. That's the first thing I hate. The second thing I hate is because it's human nature. People just start getting used to it. They start growing fat. They start getting lazy. They start getting accustomed to this lifestyle. Wow, with these tax credits and these deductions and these stipends that are coming my way every month, man, I can make $7,000 a month with only working a part-time job of 15 hours a week? Sweet. More time for video games. More time for comfort, more time for pleasure, more time for sleeping in, more time for staying up late watching the uh, NBA playoffs or the Super Bowl or whatever it is. That doesn't mean that they're bad people. They're people. They're humans. They get used to something like that. Then when it comes time to vote, who do you want to vote for? Do you want to vote for the party that is trying to take that away because you know, you're a lazy slob and you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing and you're not contributing to society and you're not realizing your God-given potential? Or do you want to vote for the other party that is just going to allow you to live that lifestyle for another year? It, that's what starts to happen. And it's tough. Then you start getting in this cycle of how do we get out of this? How do we get people to see that, yeah, you need a little pain to be a better person, a little bit of pain to realize your God-given potential, a little bit of pain to be truly transformed, because that's what this life is. This life is not about your personal comfort, your enjoyment, your safety, your security, your happiness. Paul, you're a jerk. No, I'm not a jerk. 
this is sure. Are those things nice? Of course. But look at the look, look at any character of significance in scripture. Moses, Noah, Daniel, David, Solomon. You know, you look at any of these people, Ruth, Mordecai. You look at any of these individuals. Did, did they have a life full of joy? Did they have a life full of insane happiness? Did they have a life full of comfort and pleasure? These are lies that Satan shares with society. Oh, you deserve that extra piece of cake. Oh, you deserve to have a job that's going to allow you to work from home in your jam jams and not start till 10 a.m. You deserve that. If we're going to cover this world in Christ, God needs Christian warriors, Christian soldiers. My wife and I just went to see uh, The Covenant the other day at the um, movie theater. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, it's a, a modern-day movie. Maybe you've seen it. Of a really powerful story of a soldier in Afghanistan who I'm not, I don't want to give it away, but basically it's a soldier in Afghanistan who was pretty much saved by his interpreter, a, a, a powerful, really good story. And again, covenant, I mean, that, that, that's a scriptural word as well. But again, if life was about safety and happiness, would we have soldiers? Would we have the Marines? Would we have SEAL Team Six? Would we have a Department of Defense? Would we have you know, to some degree, honest politicians who are getting raked over the coals? Of course not. You look back at history, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson. You think any of those people were more worried about their comfort? Of course not. We got to get out of these comfort zones. Life is all about being the best possible version of ourselves. It's about realizing our true God-given potential. Because then and only then, not only will we find happiness, when you're doing what God called you to do in the manner in which God called you to do it, it's the most peaceful, joyous, happy thing in the world. If, if, there's, if there's a bit of a thorn in your heel right now, constant anxiety that won't go away, dread, just something feels off, you're probably not in 100% alignment with what Jesus wants for you. And that's fine. Just about everybody's there. But my pushback would be, if you're feeling that, how much time are you spending in Scripture? How much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you spending with men and women of great moral character who are rooted in Jesus Christ? How much time are you spending watching Christian movies on television or Netflix versus, oh, cool, here's another John Wick where he murders 50,000 people. Again, we are a society that needs to take responsibility. We are a society that needs accountability. We are a society that needs to take a long, flipping look in the mirror and say, not only am I being the best possible version of myself, but am I contributing to society as a whole? Because we're never going to cover the world in Christ at all. If A, we're not running at optimal capacity, and B, we're not being proactively, aggressively going against the grain in society. And this is, you know, one of those things that it kind of reminds me of, you know, when, when springtime rolls around, as it is now, you start getting into the early to mid-spring. It's great. The weather starts to 
open up a little bit. It's just a more joyous time. But if you're a homeowner, if you live in an apartment that has, you know, some greenery, one of the first signs of spring are those yellow dandelions. And I hate them. I hate them. You'd think the color of yellow, you know, hey, this is pretty great. No, nope, 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 nope. Hate dandelions. So you got one of two choices. What you can do is you can just walk through your yard, grab them and pluck them out, put them in a bag and you're good to go. But what's going to happen if you do that? Those things are just, I mean, they say grow like weeds for a reason. You look back in your yard and what the heck? Two days went by. Why, why, why do I have more of these things in my yard? How do they grow so fast? Jeez. Or option number two, again, this is the longer option, the more painful option, the more inconvenient of an option. Take a little fork or a little tool and you, you know, dig a little under the ground, you pop it up by the root, you pull it out. Because when you take it out by the root, it's not going to come back. When you take it out by the root, there's going to be nothing else that appears on the surface. Too many times, individuals today are worried about superficial things. Where am I going to get my money from? How am I going to accomplish this task? How am I going to be able to provide for my family? You know, stuff like that. Those are all important questions that we have to ask. But rather than addressing the superficiality of life, the superficiality of business, the superficiality of society as a whole, we got to dig down and pluck out that root. Because if you're just worried about the superficial stuff, you take care of it today, it's coming back tomorrow. Well, I was able to pay my bills this month. What about next month? I was able to meet those projects this month. What about next month? I was able to address those challenges personally and professionally this month. What about next month? This is the difference between donation and transformation. And I'm talking about this from two areas. First, politics. Politics is good at giving a handout, especially one party over the other. Here, we're going to pay you this month. Now you got to come back for the next month. Then you got to come back for the next month. Then you got to come back for the next month. That is not, they think that that's love, that that's compassion, that that's tenderness. You're enslaving that person. You're making them dependent on you. You're making them rely on that handout. You are doing nothing for that person deep down. You are not addressing the root cause of that person's poverty. You are not addressing the root cause of that person being unemployable. You are not addressing the root cause of that person's addiction. You're just giving them money as a donation, basically. When what we need to be is not a society of donation, but a society of transformation. And this is also true in the world of Christianity. Donation versus transformation. Somebody is in pain today. Oh, I'll, I'll bring her a pie. Donation. Somebody's in, in hurting today. I'll buy her a cup of coffee and listen for an hour. Donation. Ah, you know, somebody in society is just, they got this addiction problem. There's something wrong with that person. I'll send them an encouraging email once in a while. Donation. I'm not saying that stuff's bad. Anything is better than nothing, okay? But I would say a donation is like, pulling out a weed, and then only having it grow back in two or three days. You're not addressing the root cause. And as Christians, if we're going to cover the world in Christ, if we're going to witness to other people, if we're going to transform people's lives, if we're going to help them honor and realize their full God-given potential, we need to transform them from the inside 
out, and this is scriptural. This passage is a little bit longer, but nothing in all of scripture speaks to the difference between transformation and donation than this. This comes to us from Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as that same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Donation versus transformation. This man was sitting by the temple gate called Beautiful day after day after day after day. Why? Begging for money. Maybe some days he got nothing. Maybe some days there was a lot of people that took pity on him and gave him a decent amount of money. Of course, then he would spend that money, presumably on food, on sustenance, maybe on, you know, shelter, wherever he was living. But then that money would run out and he'd have to go back day after day after day. People were giving him donations, but were those donations making him better? Were those donations curing him? Were those donations putting him in a place where he was self-sustaining? Not only is the answer no, I would argue those donations were making it worse. He became more and more dependent, more and more enslaved, more and more at the mercy of other people just to live. Their donations were making life worse. Then Peter and John walked by, and they had something different for him, better for him. They had a transformation for him. You want silver? You want gold? Sorry, I don't have that. But you know what I do have? Jesus. Peter, the rock upon which Jesus' church was founded, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his followers his special powers. They could now heal the sick. They could now bring the dead to life. They could now cure the leper, whatever it was. That was a power they didn't have during Jesus' earthly ministry. Peter gave it to this person. Peter transformed this man through the love of Jesus Christ, through the power of Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And what happened? What ailed him was cured. What he struggled with went away. 
The limitations to him living his best life were gone in an instant. Now he's walking. Now he's running. Now he's singing. Now he's praising God. And guess what else now? He doesn't need to rely on the generosity of others. Presumably, he can get a job. Presumably, he can be independent. Presumably, he is no longer enslaved and at the mercy of other people. Peter didn't do that. The transformation that only Jesus can bring did that. What can we learn from this in society today? Two things. One, politics is not fun. Politics is not pleasant. You talk about anything with politics, you're going to start stirring up emotions in people, good, bad, or otherwise. We need to vote for individuals from the county level all the way up to the national level that are going to see the potential in individuals and help them realize that potential. That doesn't mean we're going to keep giving you handouts. That means we're going to give you a hand up. We're going to lift you up off the ground. We're going to lift you up out of this situation. We're going to lift you up out of this period of dependency because we believe in you, because we don't want you dependent on anybody, because Jesus created you in his image, and we want you to live a life using the talents and abilities that he so generously bestowed upon you to the fullest possible. Now, we're not going to do that by keep giving you handouts at the Temple Gate Beautiful. That's number one. Voting for the right people sends a strong message. Don't set any votes out and make sure you're voting correctly. Number two, from a Christian perspective, and this is the more important one, way more important, this world is temporary. This world is but a blip on the map of eternity. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. While we're in this world, sure, let's vote for the right people. While we're in this world, sure, let's live a moral, ethical life. Let's realize our full God-given potential. Let's make sure that we're treating others with love, respect, kindness. Let's make sure that we're Christian servant leaders. All that good stuff, yes, I agree. But it's eternity that we should have in the back of our minds. And the only way people are going to realize that is if they have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We as Christians can't help other Christians realize eternity by giving Christian donations. Again, Christian donations are fine. Those are good. I'm not saying don't do them. But if somebody's really struggling with anxiety and you send him or her an encouragement email, that's not going to cure their anxiety. If somebody is just lost, making bad choices, living an unchristian lifestyle, living in sin, you know, following things of the flesh and chasing the things of the world. You having a 60-minute coffee with them is not necessarily going to change who they are as people. Rather than Christian donations, let's take the theme of Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10, and focus on Christian transformations. How can we give others Jesus? How can we transform these lost souls 
the one sheep that left the 99. How can we transform these people through Jesus? Bringing them to church, inviting them to a Bible study, sitting down with them and, and actually heart-to-heart prayer with them that, that Jesus might give them salvation, that Jesus might come into their hearts. Donations are well-intentioned. Donations are well-meaning. Donations are also superficial and in some cases, lazy. I sent her an email. I'm good. Could you have done more? Maybe that makes you feel good, but could you have done more? I invited him to church. I'm fine. Could you have done more? Let that sink in today. Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10 talks about the difference between a Christian donation and a Christian transformation. And it is my prayer, as you see what happens when politics gets lazy, when politics tries to get people dependent on a particular party, society goes to hell in a handbag. What if we had a government that was just passionate about transforming the lives of their citizens. Not not, not like a fundamental transformation that we're going to alter everything, but hey, you're struggling right now? Let me empower you. You're lost right now? Let me show you a path. You're addicted right now? Let's break those chains. We see what's going on in society. Let's be the difference maker in a world that is far more important, and that is the spiritual realm. All this talk about transformation, you know, really brings to mind the time when I first hired Tom Feldhusen, executive advisor. Not only has he transformed me as a business professional, he has transformed every single organization that I've ever been associated with, starting back, what, six, seven years ago when I was the president of the Star Group, a large independent insurance agency in the state of Wisconsin. Tommy helped me from a confidence perspective. He helped me from a leadership development perspective, but Tom's expertise in particular focuses on your greatest asset as a business owner, CEO, and executive, your people. Let's face it. I mean, we can only do so much on our own. So what Tom helped me do is identify, do I have the right people? If I do, are they in the right seats on the bus to be successful? If they're not, let's fix it. If I'm looking to bring on even more right people, where are they? How do I find them? How can I tell if this is the right person for my organization? Tom transformed everything from a business perspective for me, and I know he can do the same for you. If you want to reach out to him, again, Tom Feldhusen, Executive Advisor. Give him a call, 262-305-2502. We'll be right back with uh, Carol Flannery to uh, continue to unpack this in just a second. Don't go away. Are you a Christian-based organization? Well, so are we, and we're here to serve you. We want to help you with your mission, so please visit paragonmarketinggroup.com to see how we can help. Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com.
And welcome back, everybody. Getting pretty excited here. We've got our guest of honor, Carol Flannery, coming up here momentarily. Just one of the things that I really, really want to challenge you. Gosh, Newberger's challenging me again. Well, yeah. If, if you, I don't know how many of you listening to this are happy with the state of society today, with with church engagement going down, with people that are identifying as Christians going down, with Christian persecution way up. Boy, I tell you, I, I lost count of how many times just this week on social media I've been called a bigot or a racist or a dope or a jerk or whatever. It's open season on Christians, it would seem. We need to push each other. We need to challenge each other. We need to empower each other to cover the world in Christ. It's not easy, but nor should it be. Did you know that the majority of the books in the New Testament were written by individuals while sitting in jail cells? It's never been easy. It's not going to be easy, but we at C-Suite for Christ aspire to make it a wee bit easier for you. That's why we have this podcast, all right? So if you want to honor the Great Commission, if you want to tell others about Christ, if you want to start sharing the good news, all you got to do is text this episode to five people. Congratulations, you honored the Great Commission today. Post it on social media. Send it an email to a few people that belong to your church. But whatever you do, do something, because we're better together, stronger together, and we're going to cover the world in Christ together. One of the people who's working tirelessly, both personally and professionally, to cover the world in Christ is Carol Flannery. She's the Chief Executive Officer of Lutheran Counseling and Family Services of Wisconsin. Boy, she's quickly becoming one of my favorite people. I love all the great stuff that she's doing. Eager to have this conversation with her today. Hey, Carol, how are you, sister? Hey, Paul, good to hear from you. Well, absolutely. I was going to bring my B game today. I'm a little tired, but it's like, gosh darn it, Carol Flannery's on the podcast. I got to step it up to an A+. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be here with you. Well, thank you. And I'm. it's going to be excellent to have this conversation. As you know, we're unpacking a verse today, a little long. I'll read through this a little bit quickly, but I think the context is fairly important. Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him. As did John, then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Love, love this verse. So, Carol, with that being said, what does Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10 mean to you specifically? Uh, thanks for asking. I imagine that the reason that this is in the Bible is because transformation occurs through Christ. And how we can help lead others to Christ is an important part of our journey. I mean, in this story, we have Peter, the church, we have John, the heart, we have mercy going on, and all of this with the goal of equipping someone they don't even know, a stranger, to be their best and to be transformed. And one of the things that strikes me in this these verses is the dichotomy of the situation. We've got 
total opposites going on here. We have a situation where somebody is in pain, who's struggling, who's who's too weak to even walk, and they're reaching out for help. And we've got the other person, we've got Peter and John, who are reaching towards somebody to help them with the goal of transformation. When I look at those two opposites, even though they are opposites, in a way they come together in life. And that's something that I can't separate because we have to be the person who's not only reaching to someone for help during those times and struggle, but we also need to be the person who's reaching out to others. So we have to get to know our struggles in, in order to understand how we can help others. And we have to be aware of how God has transformed our lives so that we can be the best we can be for others as well. Well, we are off to a strong start. Not to say that I'm surprised, Carol, mind you, but uh, love love the content here. And one of the things I like to do is dive a little bit deeper into some of these aspects that the guests on the show bring up. And I liked how you brought up the dichotomy, you know, they're different, but they're the same. So why don't we, why don't we go with that a little bit? Because I was actually thinking the same thing. I love the contrast in this verse and coming only from, you know, my own mind. I, I think it's interesting how, you know, this world can provide you with a handout, you know, whether it be in, in the verse, we're talking about silver or gold, or, you know, here's an unemployment check or, or here's a, a temporary fix. The world is really good at providing with a handout, but all only this intimate relationship with Jesus will give you that strength you need to realize your full God-given potential. To use your words, that transformation. The world is not going to transform you. Only Jesus will transform you. So I guess on a personal level, Carol, how did God do this for you in your life or others that uh, you know you may be associated with? Good question. I When I look at how I've been transformed, or how I've helped others in their journey when they're struggling. I'm struck by the most powerful life-transforming times for me are when I've reached for help or when I've reached to others to help them. And I don't know if you're familiar um, with this um, neighborhood game when neighbors get together for the first time. Uh, there was um, a person I know who was invited to a group in the neighborhood um, asked them to write, uh, put a tic-tac-toe board on a piece of paper. And on this tic-tac-toe board in the middle, they put their house. And in the surrounding squares, people were supposed to put somebody that they know who lived around them and what their mission field was. This was a neighborhood Bible study. And I was thinking about that for myself. And Paul, I was really struck by how well did I know my mission field? How didn't how I didn't know my mission field at all, at all? So I was filling this out with my husband and trying to figure out who the neighbors were and what our mission field was. And I was struggling. I was putting in, I was looking at Paul and I was saying, you know, how about the cat lady next door? And he's like, Carol, you can't put the cat lady. And <laughs> what about the person who doesn't cut their lawn? And he's like, Carol, we got to come up with a few names here. And we were struggling to come up with who was in our mission field. And then I look at work as well. And I'm wondering who is part of my mission field? How am I impacting them? How, am I, how do I understand their heart and their soul? That's important to me as a CEO and a leader, because if I'm not looking at that, all I am is expensive overhead for my company. So 
if I look externally outside the walls of Lutheran Counseling and Family Services, and I look outside my walls at home, everybody's familiar with the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. But when the village fails, it's because society is filled with corruption, because we're not reaching out to others, because we're not identifying ourselves through Christ. And when the village succeeds, then it looks different. That's why we were given the Great Commission, right? It doesn't end when we walk in our doors. It doesn't end when we walk into work. I spend 50 to 60 hours at work. For me, it's where it begins. So how did God do this for me? An awareness of what I need to be for myself and who I'm called to be for others. God didn't send me down with some script saying, Carol, you're going to be CEO. He didn't spend that time putting that purpose clearly. He asked me to walk in faith. And God only knows where we're going to land and how when we follow his will, what's going to happen, not only for ourselves and for others. Every act of kindness I found that I do for others I go into it with an understanding that it may have an eternal significance for that person. When people are walking through our doors at LCFS, we're aware of that. And we're aware of the impact that Christian counseling can have on them. So I can't forget who I am in Christ, or I forget who I can be for other people in their journey. Powerful stuff for sure. And just listening to you talk about uh, mission fields and people who are around you, that reminds me of the uh, the interview that I did with uh, Governor Mike Huckabee at the Covering the World in Christ celebration a couple of months ago. And that's pretty much the same thing that he said. He said he talks to people a lot and people will say, oh, man, if I was a missionary in Africa, then I could do something. Or if I travel to an impoverished country, then I could really win this world back for Christ. And he says his answer is always the same. It's, well, God planted you right here on this patch of dirt for a particular reason. And if you're not going to witness to your own neighbors, if you're not going to encourage people in your own neighborhood, what makes you think you're going to do it halfway around the world? So I think what you're talking about is very true, and it makes a lot of sense. I think the other thing about this verse also is it it also kind of relates to today where people really kind of prefer a quick fix. You know, give me money, give me silver, give me gold, and I'll be fine. But, you know, one of the things that I, you know, like about this when I really kind of think about it is, sure, you know, here's some money, here's a quick fix, answer my prayer right now and I'll be good. You know, to, to witness this transformation that you're talking about, to witness this process of really building an intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes discipline to realize that level of transformation. And quite honestly, people, some people just aren't willing to put in that type of work. So, Carol, if somebody is willing to commit themselves to the the time, the work, the effort, the discipline, everything it, it requires to be fully transformed through Christ, what would you say are the benefits of doing that? Yep, it's going to take time. Yep, it's not going to happen right away. But if you're willing to stick it out, what happens in your opinion? Uh, you start asking yourself, are you going to see? Are you going to see the people who are sitting outside the gate? And are you going to walk past or are you going to ask? Act on that and help them. So, you know, you talked about the benefits. That's a big one for me. You know, Jesus spent his entire time on earth 
acting in that capacity. He taught us how to be gentle, how to be humble, how to be compassionate, stop being stone throwers. The list goes on and on and on. And then we become aware of it. So when we put in the work, we have that reminder that we need God continuously. And we have that ability to celebrate with others when one of the sheep is found. You stop stoning people and you become a better person who comes to other people's rescue rather than the opposite. And the benefit, the biggest benefit is we resolve to carry Christ's Christ's cross. As a leader, you begin to roll up your sleeves, you help others. You're not a top-down leader. And most importantly, you get down on your needs in the midst of, you know, those difficult situations as a CEO and you pray for God's guidance. Yeah, and I think, like you said, those it's easy to uh, it's easy to praise God when things are going well, when your health is good, when the money is flowing in. It's one other thing to uh, to praise God in the storm when it just seems like the weight of the world is on you. But if you've got that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, if He's transformed you from the inside out, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, but it is going to be easier to battle some of those storms that you're facing. And, you know, kind of speaking of that, you know, your organization is doing some pretty good things to help individuals battle the storms that they're facing, either personally or professionally. We said it at the top of the uh, interview here. But again, you're the uh, CEO of Lutheran Counseling and Family Services of Wisconsin. So from an organizational perspective, Carol, how specifically are you living out this verse with the individuals entrusted to your uh, to your care? Well, we start by helping people to become their best. We meet them where they're at. We join them in their struggles. Um, We're humbled by the courage that we see every day in others as they reach to find hope in their lives. You know, the mother who has lost her child and must set him back in the hands of God, children who have experienced trauma that would shut many people down want to search for healing and hope, we're walking alongside them. It's been part of who we are. We were founded 126 years ago to help the most vulnerable of society at that time, children who didn't have homes. We believe that placing them in loving homes was better than placing them in an institution. And then we turned into caring for adolescents who were struggling in society and needed a home and a place to stay. Then when the Vietnam veterans were coming home and they were addicted to the most powerful stuff known to mankind um, and suffering from what we now call PTSD and weren't receiving help, we reached out and we we committed to care for them and we opened up an addictions program that's still going strong today with the model that we're using. We counsel people wherever they are at and we have made a commitment that we continue to care for vulnerable children in society. And we're taking bold steps to do that. But in our world today, We need to see the problem. We can't walk away. We can't be apathetic. We need to see the picture on how to succeed and how to help others. It's more important in my mind today than it ever has been. 
And as society continues to change, we need to be cognizant and aware of who is outside our gate and who are we called to help? And when do we need to reach out and ask for God's help and God's mercy? And who are the people in our paths who can join us and help us at those times of struggle. You talked about quick fixes, but in society, there's also this group of people who are truly hurting and are truly trying to help themselves as well. And they might be turning to drugs to do that, might be turning to gambling, a whole litany of things that that are going to put them in the path of struggling and the people around them who are here to say, I'm here to help when they are searching for hope in their lives. In the hallway at LCFS, I heard something powerful. A therapist was walking out with a client and then therapist said to the client, I want you to remember something. You may have thought that you were plan B to those people around you, but you were always, always God's plan A. And when you walk into LCFS, that's what you're going to experience. Yeah, I can definitely see why that's a uh, powerful statement. And I think that is certainly applicable to you, Carol, to me, to all of the listeners of this episode here today. And, you know, one of the words that you hit on is is one of the words that I'm very passionate about. And that word is apathy. And, you know, just from my own personal opinion, I think the only thing that is worst or the only thing that is worse than an atheist in terms of the fight for Christianity is an apathetic Christian, somebody who's a believer but doesn't do anything, somebody who's a believer but doesn't stand up and fight, somebody who's a believer but says, oh, these people need me, there's a lot of pain in the world, ah, somebody else will do that. We are There's just more that is expected of us. This is one of those things that God has called us to do, to whom much is given, much is expected. And apathy should never be uttered in any sentence where the word Christian is contained also. Uh, For those of you that are interested in learning more, there's going to be a link to the LCFS website in the podcast description. If you're one of those people that is hurting, if you're somebody that wants to support this very important mission, just go to their website, learn a little bit more, and I'm I'm sure that they're going to be very grateful for that. Uh, Carol, we got about five minutes left. I want to make sure that we get this question in because this is kind of one of those things I just don't think a lot of people necessarily think about every single day. You know, unlike Peter, we as Christians, you know, we're not necessarily going to touch a cripple and, you know, his feet are going to get strong and his ankles are going to get strong and he's going to start to walk. But the power to bring others to life, you know, metaphorically resides inside each of us as believers. How do we not only utilize that power to breathe life into others, to help transform others, to help people realize their full God-given potential? But how do we also get others to say and realize, hey, I've got this power inside me too. Maybe I should start to utilize that. I heard a story um, from someone years and years ago, and I wish I could remember who it was because I would give credit to them. But this was a person, he was um, a CEO at a company, and he was leaving a convention along with two other people. He was running late to his plane, and these were the days where you could run, and he was in an airport running to his gate along with two other people who were under him in position. And he hit a fruit stand, and evidently this fruit went all over the place. And he looked back, and 
his friends, his colleagues were running to the gate and they said, come on. And he's like, I got to go back and help. And they said, no, come on, you're going to miss the plane. And he said, I have to go back and help this woman. And a bit of arguing went on. And then they went to the gate. His colleagues went to the gate and the leader went back to the woman and he started picking up the fruit and he reached to give her the fruit and he realized that that woman was blind. And when he handed her the fruit, she said to him, are you Jesus? So when we value God and we, we value him deeply and authentically, we're that person who models running back and helping, even the at the expense of missing that plane. It was a sacrifice on his part. And as we know, sacrifice by its very nature is painful, but he did it. And then he became the face of Jesus to others. And by example, that person pointed Jesus, pointed others to God. Like I said before, Jesus showed us how to do this. You know, you open up page one to page 3,856 in the Bible, and you've got a strategic plan for how to do this. You know, you have the, what you're missing is the when and the where and the who. That's who God is putting in your path. And you need to be aware of who's sitting outside the gate called beautiful for you, because that's your mission field. And don't miss, don't be that person who misses the opportunity to be the face of Jesus for others, because it can be life transforming. It can have an eternal significance and it can lead people in the direction, especially in today's world, when they see good and kindness and love and mercy and hope and help. They're not going to see that when they turn on the TV. They're not going to see that when they play video games. They're going to see that through the loving power of God through us at work. Boy, talk about a convicting question. Man, how many people today, yesterday, last week saw the face of Jesus in you? Mm-hmm. Yikes. I uh, I don't think I'd like my answer to that a whole lot. I, I, I'm i the founder of the C-Suite for Christ ministry, and that number is awfully low for me on some days. But I think that's very important. For, for some people, you might be the only experience they have of Jesus. You might be having the, you might be the only person that they can point to or the only experience in their life, especially if they've had trauma, especially if they've never been exposed to, uh, to Christianity. You might be that only right spot in this person's otherwise dark life. But I I, I do pray that uh, what Carol brought up convicts you today. How many people today saw the face of Jesus in you? And it's my hope that uh, by the time today is done, this week is done, that number can be quite high. Carol, I figured this was going to happen. Time certainly zips when I'm talking to you, my friend. We've got uh, one question left, 60 seconds or less, if you can, putting you on the hot seat here. But uh, what I like is about this ministry, and you know, you've been a member of ours now for some time, is it's one thing just to talk in high-level philosophy. It's one thing to wax poetic, you know, speak at a 30,000-foot view. But what our ministry is all about is also rolling up our sleeves and giving our members, giving our listeners practitioner-based best practices where they can start implementing some of these things that we talked about. And what we talked about today is extremely important. So, 
let's assume one of our listeners today would like to do a better job of, you know, breathing life into those around them, helping these other people be transformed, recognizing the people that might be in need of their assistance. If somebody wanted to do a better job of seeing those people and helping those people, what are two or three things that they can start to do immediately to become more proficient in this capacity? Oh, first get down on your knees and pray for the people in your mission field. Get to know them. Fill in that tic-tac-toe board that I talked about beforehand. Look at it and see who is around you. And give people a chance, whether they're the stranger who is crossing your path, whether it is a person that you know intimately or if they are in your work field, give them that chance and be that special person who puts the needs of others first. Help people develop their God-given talents. Do it as a leader. Prepare them. Be a mentor. Prepare them to replace you eventually. And you've just created a win-win situation. Well, speaking of win-win situation, I won because I learned a lot about you, Carol. And I know our audience has won also because you shared some really good words of wisdom here with everybody. Again, we've been blessed to be chatting with Carol Flannery. She's the Chief Executive Officer of Lutheran Counseling and Family Services of Wisconsin. Carol, it was a blessing to have you here today. Thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom with us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, Paul, for having me. I look forward to talking with you soon. Absolutely. Don't go away, gang. After this short break, we're going to be back with some final thoughts. Stay tuned. Well, as we get ready to say goodbye here on another edition of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, boy, howdy, I'd be remiss if I did not say thank you to my good friend and C-Suite for Christ member, Carol Flannery. Again, she is the Chief Executive Officer of Lutheran Counseling and Family Services of Wisconsin. Just a truly wonderful people and really did a great job helping us unpack Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. And I got to tell you, I said this at the onset of this episode today. Everybody who appears on this program is an official dues-paying member of C-Suite for Christ. We are a ministry of thousands all over the world. These are people that if you become a member of our ministry, these are the people that'll be in your small groups. These are the people that you'll be able to fellowship with network with. These are the people that will be praying for you. These are the individuals who will be empowering you to cover the world in Christ based on the things that they've learned over the years. So if you go back, we've got 70 some odd episodes that are already out there. If you go back and listen to every single one, member, 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 member. We'd love to add you to those ranks. You can be, enjoy friendships with these people, potential collaborations with these people. These are individuals that can hold you accountable from a spiritual perspective. Stop putting this off. Don't wait any longer. You're listening to this episode for a reason. You, 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 you subscribe to this podcast for a particular reason. Take it to the next step. Join us. We're losing this battle against secular society. And with you in our ranks, I know we would have a better shot of winning. Go to our website, csuiteforchrist.com. 60 seconds or less, what did we discuss today? Again, the Bible theme of this episode, Acts chapter 3, verses 10. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. Again, as Christians, we're called to cover the world in Christ for sure, but we're also called to help other Christians 
have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, to, to realize their full God-given potential, to help them realize and live their best life. And what I love about Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 10, Peter and John could have given that man at the temple gate called beautiful money. That would have satisfied him probably for a day. But then guess what? He'd be right back there tomorrow in need of more donations. He would have still been at the mercy of others. He would have still been enslaved in that regard. So rather than giving gold, rather than giving silver, Peter looked at him. He said, I got something better than that. He gave him the spirit of Jesus. And this man now, after his feet were strengthened, his ankles were strengthened, he was walking, he was jumping, he was celebrating Jesus. So many people saw that. And that ended up bringing a ton of people to Christ. Will you be Peter today? Now, you might not be able to touch somebody and cure them of their illnesses or this tough season that they're going through. But if you can instill Jesus in somebody, if you can really help transform their lives through the power of Jesus Christ by praying with them, by studying scripture with them, by witnessing to them, by giving them an experience and showing them, hey, I was once there too. I found Jesus and I'm in a much better place. That is how we're going to make people stronger. That is how we're going to make people better. And that is how we're going to cover the world in Christ. I'm Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csweetforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here. I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here. I won't forget you, no, no. I won't forget you. You're